Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. This week we're going to break down the original Wicker Man, and I am so excited. Going to kick off kind of March in with a great spring horror movie, and super pumped to talk about this one. It's got cult vibes, which I love. Um, got a good twist at the end, and yeah, so without further ado, let's jump into the plot. As always, there will be spoilers, so listen at your own risk. So the plot of this movie centers around our main character, Police Sergeant Neil Howie. He goes to the isolated island of Summer Isle in search of a missing girl. Howie is a devout Christian, and he becomes quite appalled that the people living on the island have abandoned Christianity and now practice a form of Celtic paganism. Things are not what they seem on the island, and he has to really dig deep to figure out what exactly happened to this missing girl. Now that we've got a little brief plot summary, let's go into the cast. So, Mr. Edward Woodward plays Sergeant Neil Howey. He's an English actor and singer, and so after graduating from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, he began his career on stage. Throughout his career, he appeared in productions in both the West End and on Broadway in New York. He came to wider attention in 1967 in the title role of the British television spy drama Callan, earning him a 1970 British Academy title television award for best actor he also starred in breaker morant and played robert mccall in the american television series the equalizer in 1985 to 1989 and that won him a golden globe award for best television drama actor next we have christopher lee as lord summer isle he's an english actor singer and author with a career spanning nearly seven decades, well known for portraying villains, and he gained recognition for appearing as Count Dracula in seven Hammer horror films, but he actually played the role of Count Dracula nine times during his career, which is pretty wild. Um, His other films include Francisco Scarmanga in the James Bond film The Man with the Golden Gun, Count Dooku in Star Wars, Episode 2 Attack of the Clones, and Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. And he was also in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit film trilogy. He was actually knighted for his services to drama and charity in 2009 and received a BAFTA fellowship in 2011. He also played in The Curse of Frankenstein and, of course, like I talked about Dracula. So he's got um, one of his favorite things is kind of playing a villain. He also played in five different Tim Burton films And before turning to acting, he was actually in the Royal Air Force as an intelligence officer. Next, we will go to Britt Eklund, who plays Willow McGregor. She's a Swedish actress, model, and singer, and she appeared in numerous films in her heyday throughout the 1960s and 70s, including roles in The Double Man, The Night They Raided Minsky, Machine Gun McCain, Stiletto, and the British crime film Get Carter, which established her as kind of a sex symbol during this time. She also starred in several horror films and actually appeared as a Bond girl in The Man with the Golden Gun alongside Christopher Lee, who we just chatted about. Uh, she also was in a ton of, ton of other films um, up until like the late 1980s. Next, we will talk about Leslie Mackey, who plays Daisy, and she's a British actress known for her Olivier Award-winning performance as Judy Garland in the original London cast of Judy, which is really great. And she was in The Wicker Man, and that's pretty much all that I could find on her were those two things. 
Diane Salento plays Miss Rose, and she is an Australian actress and author. She's best known for her film roles in Tom Jones, which earned her an Academy Award nomination, Ombre, and then, of course, The Wicker Man. And then she also received a Tony Award nomination for her performance as Helen of Troy in the play Tiger at the Gates. So a lot of this cast actually did, you know, stage and um, stage and screen. Uh, which is really, really interesting. Uh, super great cast in this film when looking at kind of at all the backgrounds and other things that they had done before and after The Wicker Man. It's just, yeah, highlights after highlights for the cast. Ingrid Pitt plays the librarian. She played British by Heidi Schmidt in Where Eagles Dare, opposite Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood. She's a Polish-British actress, author, and writer best known for her work in horror films in the 1970s. Um, She worked a ton with Hammer Film Productions um, along with Christopher Lee, kind of he played Dracula in those. She starred in The Vampire Lovers and played the title role in Countess Dracula. And played the title role in Countess Dracula, which is based on the legends about Countess, sorry, Countess Elizabeth Bathory, which is a really great story, which I will talk about more in a horror movie that we're going to cover called Stay Alive, which I'm super excited to talk about. Um, We will talk more about Elizabeth Bathory later in a different episode. But she played Elizabeth Bathory, which is great. And she was also in The House That Dripped Blood and then, of course, The Wicker Man. Lindsay Kemp plays Alder McGregor, the landlord. He's a British actor, dancer, teacher, mime artist, and choreographer. Super great kind of background on him. He was best known for his 1974 flagship production of Flowers, a mime and music show based on Jean Jeanette's novel Our Lady of the Flowers, in which he played the lead role of Divine. Owing Owning to its homosexual themes and perceived decadence, reviews were sometimes hostile, but it was widely considered a theatrical and sensory sensation, and it toured globally for many years. And he was also actually a mentor to David Bowie and Kate Bush. Russell Waters plays the harbor master. Waters was educated at Hutchinson's Grammar School in Glasgow and at the University of Glasgow. He began acting in the Old English Comedy and Shakespeare Company, then appeared in the Repertory Theater at the Old Vic on the West End in London, which is one of my favorite theaters. Um, saw a lot of good plays there, so I was, super, was really excited to see that he was hanging out at the Old Vic a lot because I've um, been there many a times to see some really good productions. He also played roles in The Blue Lagoon, The Happiest Days of Your Life, Chance of a Lifetime, Wooden Horse, and Blackjack. So Aubrey Morris is the old gardener slash grave digger slash caretaker, whatever you want to kind of call that role. He's a British actor known for his appearances in films A Clockwork Orange and, of course, The Wicker Man, uh, The Nightcaller, and Love and Death, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother, just been in a ton of different things. Um, he's not in this movie a whole lot, but he his role is very great. Like, um, super just kind of creepy and awesome. Irene Sunter plays Mae Morrison. She's a Scottish actress best known for playing Maggie Ferguson, the bus driver in Take the High Road from the first episode. Um, and then she was like a series regular um, until... 
She was a series regular for two years, and then she had guest appearances for, like, the next eight years on the show. Next, we have Jennifer Martin, who plays Myrtle Morrison, and I couldn't find any other information about Jennifer. There's another Jennifer Martin who's, um, I think it said she was a Scottish actress, but she seemed too young to be the Jennifer Martin who plays young Myrtle in this movie that was in, that came out in 1973. So I'm 99% sure that that's not her and couldn't find anything else on the young girl who plays Myrtle Morrison. So now that we've got a little bit of info about the cast, let's get into some fun facts. So the script is loosely based on the David Penner's 1967 novel Ritual. So he wrote Ritual as a script treatment for another director but adapted it into a novel after the director denied the project. And so the Wicker Man screenwriter Anthony Schaefer, um, producer Peter Snell, and Christopher Lee later acquired the rights to the story, which combined elements of mystery and the occult and involved the mysterious death of a teenage girl in a Cornish village. Schaefer, however, decided that the novel would not adapt well to the screen and used its basic outline to craft a new story. So very loosely based, but they got a lot of inspiration from uh, his novel Ritual. And then James George Fraser's The Golden Bow was also an inspiration. So Schaefer and director Robin Hardy um, plumbed Fraser's seminal work in comparative mythology for ideas, drawing liberally from the different traditions Fraser described, then fashioned them into believable modern pagan religion with ancient roots. So they kind of took what was in that um, along with some historical stuff and twisted what they needed to to make it all kind of fit for the film. So the story itself is set in the spring, um, but a lot of the shooting actually took place in November. So the pagan romps of the Wicker Man transpire amid amid springtime. But because of Studio British Lion's financial troubles, production was rushed and the film was actually shot in late fall in Scotland. Which I don't know if anyone's ever been to Scotland, but Scotland in the fall, very windy and quite chilly. So I feel for a lot of the actresses who had to play um, nude roles because I cannot even imagine um, Scotland in the fall. <laughs> the art department actually had to create the illusion of spring by attaching artificial blossoms to bare branches and bringing in fake apple trees while cast members had to hold ice in their mouths to keep their breath from steaming in the cold air, which just sounds like a lot of work that they had to do just to make, uh, just to sell the idea of springtime throughout the movie. And so even though the actual story is supposed to take place on this, you know, isolated island, none of the movie scenes were actually shot on an island. The story unfolds on the fictional Scottish island of Summer Isle, but filming happened in several coastal locations around the production base in Newton Stewart, Scotland. The film's opening aerial images were filmed en route to the Isle of Skye and in South Africa. Um where there was more blossoming trees where while director Hardy was there on a commercial shoot. So he was there kind of scouting for a different project he was doing and was like, let's use some of these shots for the other movie that I'm working in. Uh, So the next kind of fun fact is uh, going back to Christopher Lee, and he considers this to be his best film and best performance. So Lee had been typecast for years as a bloodsucker. He was the one who played Dracula nine times. Um, And so an acquaintance of... He was an acquaintance of Schaefer, 
and was involved in the development of the film from the beginning and would later champion it as it struggled to find a commercial foothold. Lee declared The Wicker Man to be the best film I've ever been in, the best part I've ever had, and not uh, and not that I'm a judge at all, but the best performance I've ever given. He was actually not paid, supposedly, to appear in the movie. Uh, his desire to walk away from Dracula was so great that he uh, reportedly agreed to play the starring role of Lord Summer Isle for free. He was just like anything to stop being a vampire. So... Um, as so much as he loves, you know, as he's known for kind of being Dracula, he was ready for something else. And the role of Lord Summer Isle seems so fun and just bizarre. Um, so I'm sure that was really, really cool to play after playing, you know, someone who, who lives in the dark all of the time. Getting to be someone who's excited about spring. Anyway, so actress Britt Eklund had a butt double in a couple of her scenes. So she plays the innkeeper seductive daughter Willow McGregor and was known as a sex symbol at the time due to previous roles. Um, they were The Night They Raided Minsky and Get Carter. And she agreed to appear topless in The Wicker Man but refused to let her bottom be shown. Uh, two body doubles, an exotic dancer and an 18-year-old extra, were brought in for Willow's famous dance in the doorway. So there's this scene that we'll talk about in the scene by scene breakdown, but where she's trying to seduce Howie, the, the policeman. And so she's dancing naked in her room and, like, pounding on the walls and singing, trying to get him to visit her room. Uh, and so you see, you know, basically her full body, but you, you see it from the back of her. And so her semi-nudity uh, still caused trouble um, she started dating Rod Stewart after she appeared in the film, who reportedly tried to buy up all the film's negatives and destroy them so that no one could look at his naked girlfriend, which seems a bit in intense. Um, but her, apparently her butt was not the only thing that was faked. Um, her dialogue and singing were later dubbed over with the voice of a Scottish singer, Annie Ross, um, because Eklund could not pull off a passable Scottish accent, so they had to dub her voice and singing scene. So apparently there are multiple versions of the film. So after production was completed, Hardy assembled a 99-minute version of the film based on the original script, but EMI Films, who had bought out British Lion Films during production and who detested the movie, um, they didn't like how long it was. They thought that release releasing the 87-minute version in theaters would be better, and in 1976, so three years after the movie was released, Hardy decided to try and reassemble the original film but was unable to obtain the original negatives from EMI. Hardy was able to reconstruct what he had lost from the full-length version from a copy that he had given to Roger Corman, um, but that only put it to 95 minutes, um, and that's kind of known as the director's cut. And this was followed in 2001 by a DVD version as close to the 99-minute original, known as the extended version. And finally, after the discovery of a 35-millimeter print in Harvard's film archives, the release of Hardy's final cut came in 2013. The full 99-minute film was finally released. Um, what would that be? 30, 40 years after... The original film. So this movie was originally released as a double feature with Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. And so the executives at EMI, which like I said, brought out British Lion, 
uh, they really didn't like Wicker Man. They were like, this is, we don't, they didn't think it was going to be good. They didn't have any faith in it. So they attached it to Don't Look Now as kind of like the after picture. Um, and so it finally came into public view when, which was, um, when it was attached to Don't Look Now, which was actually having its second run in London in 1973. And the release was particularly insulting to The Wicker Man, given the AB movie system had practically been abolished by that time. Like, that was not something that was done anymore. Um, EMI really had no faith in the movie. And now, you know, they've redone it with Nicolas Cage. Um, we can do that one in the future if you guys want to talk about the bees. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, like it's now considered a cult classic among uh, horror fans. So um, next we will talk a little bit about the soundtrack because, again, it is not Megan's murder movies if we don't talk about the music. Uh, so most songs in the soundtrack are actually based on traditional folk tunes. The The music in this is actually really interesting. There's a lot of uh, folk music and kind of traditional uh, like Scottish sounding pieces. So Paul Giovanni arranged the soundtrack based on or inspired by traditional songs and recorded them with a folk band called Magnet. And so features um, songs like Corn Rigs and Summer is Human Inn and yeah, just a lot of um, traditional 13th century folk songs, which is really cool. Next, we'll kind of talk about the end. Uh, Sergeant Howie's stunned look at the end is actually genuine. So the stricken look on the face of Sergeant Howie as he's brought to the giant wicker man was real. So Woodard had seen only drawings of the giant wicker man before. And not only that, but the scene was shot in an incredible rush as the production was on the run from studio heads who wanted to shut it down because, again, they, uh, you know, had been brought out by EMI. And so they were basically planning on shutting the production down. And I guess he had no time to learn his lines because of this and had to read the lines off of giant letters on bed sheets that hung from nearby cliffs, which is pretty wild. Um, so then we'll talk about this kind of in the end, but um, at, the, at the very end of the movie, there's this basically giant wicker man that's full of um, livestock. So, you know, goats, chickens, baby cows, and then they put Howie inside. And, and we'll talk about kind of what happens at the end when we get there. But a goat inside of the Wicker Man also found the predicament very upsetting. So it was reported that as the crew set the giant on fire, so set the Wicker Man on fire and filmed the final scene from below, a goat in one of the man's compartments above peed on them. He also stressed that the fire was kept under control and was put out soon afterward and that no animals were actually harmed. But I mean, I feel like if I was a goat and I was put in this giant basically cage and then someone lit a fire under me, I would probably pee my pants too. Like, and so part of the reason why the executives at EMI didn't like it was because they didn't like the ending. Um, they really pushed for a new ending and suggested that it really needed to be upbeat, which meant that Howie would live in the end. Spoiler, big spoiler, he dies. Um, and even suggesting that a torrential rain should come and put out the fire that is consuming the Wicker Man. And Hardy was like, absolutely not. That's not happening. Not no, but definitely not. Um, and our last fun fact is that the Wicker Man actually inspired a Scottish music and arts festival. So the Wicker Man Festival has been held every summer since 2001 in Dumfries and Galway. 
uh, Scotland, near where the film was actually shot. Uh, it was canceled in 2016 due to the death of co-founder Jamie Gilroy, but it returned uh, strong as ever in 2017, and then, of course, um, had to be canceled due to COVID, much as a lot of things were. So we have the summary, we have met the cast, and we know some fun facts about the film. Let us get in to the scene-by-scene breakdown. So we open with a, like, a water plane flying over. There is a beautiful Scottish song playing, and we see great landscape shots. The person, you know, the pilot of the plane lands, and he has to call for someone to bring him, like, a dinghy or a small boat to bring him to the island. The harbor master is like, are you lost? Um... And the pilot says, no, this is Summer Isle, correct? And the harbor master goes, yeah. And, you know, the harbor master then lets him know that no one is allowed on the island without permission. And so this is when we meet our main character. He says he's a police officer, so he definitely has authority to come onto the island if he wants. He says he's looking for a missing girl. And so the harbor master sends one of his friends to go out and bring the police officer to shore. So now there's a whole group of men uh, that have kind of gathered at the dock to see what's going on because there's a new person. Clearly, they don't get a lot of new people, so everyone wants to know what's going on. Um, we also get to see a little bit of the island in this shot. Uh, someone's riding a horse, and everyone's kind of coming to their windows in what looks like this kind of apartment complex or this row of houses to see what's going on over at the dock. This is when we hear our main character's name. He is Sergeant Howie, and he hands around a picture of this supposed missing girl. He said that he received a letter that was addressed to him saying that she's been missing for quite a while. No one cares. No one seems to have any any idea where she went, and no one cares that this girl is missing. Um, but no one at the harbor, none of the men who are standing around, say that they know this girl. Everyone's like, I've never seen her before. Nope, don't know her. She definitely doesn't live here. You might want to try like a different island or this town or somewhere else. Um, the Sergeant Howie says that the little girl's name is Rowan Morrison and that her mother is May Morrison. All of the men know May though. They're all like, oh yes, of course, May. She runs the post office. Like super casual about knowing May, but supposedly nobody knows this little girl in the picture. Uh, so because May runs the post office, Howie decides to go there. He talks with May and she says, yes, I do have a daughter, but it is not that girl in the picture. She takes Howie to the back of the post office where basically she lives as like a storefront and then she lives like in, in the back part. And, you know, so takes her to the back or takes him to the back and he is introduced to Myrtle Morrison, which is May's daughter. And she's painting a, you know, picture of a hare slash, you know, rabbit. Um, um, they use the term hare, so I'm going to use the term hare, but it, it's a rabbit. Um, the daughter says, yes, I do know Rowan. Howie starts asking her some questions. Do you know a, a girl named Rowan? And she's like, yeah, I do. Rowan's out playing in the fields and, you know, she'll be in for um, food later and... Then Howie realizes that she's talking about one of the hares that they have with the family. Um, they have a bunch of hares, and one of them is named Rowan. So he doesn't get any any good information from anyone in the town so far. 
He goes to what is called the Green Man Inn on the island and asks for a room and some supper. So this is basically just a little hotel on the island. The inn is lively, but everything goes quiet when Howie enters. Um, The landlord's kind of spooky. He introduces Howie to his daughter, Willow, and everyone in the inn starts singing this really, really creepy song about the landlord's daughter. It's what they basically call her. It's super odd, basically saying that she's seductive and attractive and just all these really gross things about this girl. And she thinks it's funny. She's standing there laughing and making jokes, and it's, it's a really uncomfortable scene. So Howie gets everyone's attention because he's tired of listening to the song and he talks about the missing girl. He's like, this is why I'm here. I'm going to pass this picture around. If anybody knows who she is, please come talk to me. No one says that they know her. Everyone's like, I have no idea. Never seen her before. Doesn't live here. Same story basically with everyone that he finds. And so in the inn, there's this wall of pictures. And so apparently these, you know, pictures of these young girls standing with all of this produce or, you know, they're all kind of standing in the same area. And so Howie realizes that these are pictures from the Islands Harvest Festival, one for each year. But the one from the most recent year is missing. And the landlord says, oh, yeah, it broke. When Howie's like, oh, what happened to last year's photo? He's like, oh, it broke. Like, it, you know, the, the frame broke. It needs to be fixed. And so it's not some weird excuse. How he gets his supper and he starts complaining that the food's really gross. He really doesn't want to eat it. He asks for an apple and Willow's kind of the one waiting on him at the moment. And she's like, oh, we don't have any. And he's super shocked because the island is known for its fruit and vegetables. He's like, how how do you not have an apple on the island known for fruits and vegetables? And she's like, well, they must have all been exported. And she walks away. He decides to go on a little walk after dinner, and he sees all of these people having sex, nude, all over town. He's very taken aback by this. He is a Christian man. He wants no part in these heathen activities. Uh, He goes back to his room at the inn and tries to go to sleep. He writes some notes and prays before bed. But while he's trying to sleep, Willow comes upstairs, and she's actually in the room next to him, and she's trying to seduce him. She's laying in her bed naked, and she's pounding her fist on the walls, and she's singing to him and inviting him to her room, and she's like, why don't you come say hi? And this is when she kind of has that body double that we talked about. She's, like, um, standing against the wall, like, pounding on the wall that they share, and she's nude, and so you can see, like, her back, but it's not actually um, Brett Eklund's back. It's the um, the woman that they, I can't remember her name, Anne something, I think, Annie something. Um, so she pounds on the wall and is singing to him. Uh, he's tempted, but he doesn't give in to her. He, like, gets out of bed and goes to the wall, and then he goes back to bed. And the next morning, she comes in to wake him up, and she's like, I thought you were going to come visit me last night. And he's like, nope, like, I, I can't do that. I'm engaged, and I think that, you know, it's proper to wait till marriage. And Willow makes the comment, oh, like, you probably shouldn't be around on May Day then since, you know, that's kind of how you feel about things. And so he goes to the schoolhouse, and um, right outside the schoolhouse, there's a maypole. So I'm sure people, like, you've seen those giant poles, and they do, like, the, the st- they're not strings, they're, like, streamers almost down from the top, and then you do the, like, dance around it. Um, and so some kids are out doing a maypole song and dance. Howie goes to the school and chats with one of the teachers, uh, the teacher for the, the the younger girls, and she's giving a lecture about the maypole, and she says that it represents a penis, and, you know, it's a phallic symbol, and all this stuff, and Howie is totally taken aback. He is 
disgusted with what is going on on this island. He pulls her outside and gives her like a stern talking to about how this is ridiculous and and the, like the girls that she's teaching are about 14 like getting ready to either have just entered puberty or getting ready to enter puberty like anyway. So he pulls the teacher out and he's saying that he's going to report the school for teaching such things. He can't believe that this is the education in this village. Um, and she says that it's just that. It's just education. That the girls need to know these things. And Howie basically disregards that and he walks in and he starts talking to the girls. And again, he passes around the picture and he's like, I'm going to write this girl's name on the board. Please tell me if you know her. Nobody does. Again, never seen her before. She doesn't live here. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, next he asks the teacher for the, like, uh, class list. She says no. She's like, oh, I don't have it, blah, blah, blah. He finds it in her desk, and Rowan's name is, in fact, on the list. The teacher takes him outside, uh, after how he kind of has this outburst, and he's like, you're all liars, and he calls the teacher the biggest liar of all, and he just kind of, kind of throws a fit. I mean, it's a missing girl, so I understand he's a police officer. He's trying to do his job, but he's, he's a bit dramatic, to be honest. So the teacher takes him outside and explains that Rowan has died. So while it may seem like they've lied, they've not because in their kind of, um, their own religious views on the island, they see that when someone dies, they just kind of cease to exist, but that their soul goes out into nature. So into the trees, into the animals, into the water, into the wind. And so Rowan's gone. She doesn't exist anymore. But she's around, which is kind of, it's very interesting. And he is, he's like, nope, that's not how death works. That's not okay. Um, he basically, like, puts the pieces together that she is going to be buried in the graveyard. Um, he goes in the graveyard to try and find her grave. And he finds a woman nursing her baby. And he also finds cases of rotten apples. Um, he finds a little tree that had been planted and he finds the caretaker of kind of the, the grounds of the, the cemetery and starts talking with him. And he says that the tree is for Rowan, that she died about seven or eight months ago. And there's this like weird string thing hanging from the tree. And Howie's like, oh, what is that? And apparently it was Rowan's belly button skin, uh, which just is very uncomfortable. I don't like the idea of my belly button not being in my body. Even if I'm dead, like, please don't. Please don't take my belly button. That just, it feels weird. I don't like it. Um, so Howie asks for the minister because he cannot believe the fact that her, you know, belly button uh, string would just be like draped over her tree and that there's no gravestone. And he's like, this is ridiculous. The caretaker just laughs and walks away. Like, it's very clear that this town is not, you know, typical Christian or anything like that. And, and so him asking for the minister is like, you're not getting anywhere with that, Howie. Howie goes back to see May and she's putting a frog in her daughter's mouth to help with a sore throat, which is a, you know, old wives tale. Um, you know, if you put a, a frog in, uh, the, the frog will take kind of whatever sickness and, and you'll get better. Um, she says the frog will help make Myrtle, her daughter, better. Howie then goes off to the records office because he wants to see Rowan's death certificate. He's like, if she's really dead, there's got to be some kind of like paper trail, basically. Uh, the woman says that he needs permission from Mr. Summer Isle or Lord Summer Isle to view those documents. He threatens her with obstruction and she gives him the forms, but her inform but Rowan's information isn't in there. He goes to visit the chemist, and I guess the chemist also takes the photos for the Harvest Festival. He's kind of the town photographer. 
Um, he asked the man for last year's photos and he, of course, doesn't keep any copies. He's like, oh, I wouldn't have that. Like, I don't know. Why don't you go look at the inn and how he's like, apparently it broke. And he's like, oh, that's just too darn bad. Dang. Um, so Howie's pretty convinced that the girl in the picture from last year is Rowan. And Howie then takes a horse and carriage to see Lord Summer Isle. And so on the way there, he passes this group of women doing a ritual in hopes of gaining pregnant. They're singing and dancing around a fire in an area that looks kind of like Stonehenge. There's, the, you know, like the big stones around. Um, he gets to this giant castle or mansion, whatever you want to call it, and is taken inside. Um, they ask Howie to sit in a room that almost looks like a drawing room or just like a living room. There's like a piano and two chairs by a fireplace and uh you know he kind of goes to the window and starts watching these women who are doing this ritual naked by the fire dancing around um and at that moment lord summerisle pops out from behind a chair and they start chatting about how how he wants to exhume the body because he suspects that rowan was murdered uh lord summerisle says yep that's fine um you know, he agrees to it, but he's like, we don't commit murder on this island. That's just not something we do. Uh, then he kind of talks about how they are religious, but in their own way. It's, you know, much more of like believing in a bunch of different gods, you know, like the god of the sun, the god of the water, those sorts of things, as opposed to one almighty, all-powerful god. And then how he brings up the fact that these women are dancing naked by the fire and the Lord's kind of like, well, duh. Um, like, it's too dangerous to do it with clothes on, you know, because Howie's like, really? They have to, like, they have to be naked and doing this? And Lord Summer Isle's like, well, yeah, because it's dangerous to jump through the fire if you have clothes on. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite little interactions in the movie. So then they start talking more about religion. They definitely don't see eye to eye and Howie's getting very upset. He's very faithful to what he believes. Um, they take a walk in the garden and um, Lord Summerall talks of his grandfather who had founded the island and how his dad kept it up after his grandfather died, and he's now doing the same now that his father is gone. Um, Howie calls him a pagan, and Lord Summerall sends Howie away. And he's like, we're kind of done with this conversation. I hope that you have, like, enjoy your stay. You're welcome to exhume the body. Good luck. Um, so next he goes to, back to the graveyard to exhume the body. And the caretaker's helping him, and she's not in the grave. She's not in the coffin. It's a hair. It's, I'm guessing, the Rowan hair. He goes back to the castle and finds Lord Samayo playing the piano for the teacher that he had talked to recently. And she's, like, singing and they're both drinking wine. It seems like a very intimate moment. But Howie walks in and just throws the dead hair at the teacher and says that this is what he found in Rowan's grave. Howie wants to know where she is. And the teacher's talking about the soul and Howie and Lord Summer Isle talk about, like, the case and Howie's really upset with no one telling him the truth. And Lord Summer Isle's like, well, you're the detective. Like, you just need to do your job better, which it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. Howie says that he's going to report the island and a huge investigation will be taking place. And Lord Summer Isle tells him that he should probably leave before tomorrow because he's really not going to like the May Day Festival. And at this point, Howie's over it. Howie's like, I'm done playing nice. We're, we're, I'm getting to the bottom of this because I need to. Like, he's so over this town and all the weirdness that's happening. Howie decides to take matters into his own hands and he breaks into the chemist and looks for the photographs from the last May festival. 
He looks through a ton, or the last Harvest Festival. He looks through a ton of photos, uh, all from, you know, different times throughout the town's history and finds one photo with Rowan and failed crops, much like the pictures that were on the wall in the inn. He thinks that she was sacrificed or is going to be sacrificed because the crops failed. And so, um, you know, he goes to sleep, sun goes down, and the next scene that we see is a line of children walking down the sidewalk, maybe six or seven years old, and they're carrying this doll and chanting that they're carrying death out of the village. Uh, Howie is in the library learning about May festivals, and he learns that in the good years, people give produce and animals uh, kind of as sacrifices to the gods, and in bad years, the sacrifice would be a human because they don't have the good livestock and the good crops to basically offer up to the gods. Howie's getting ready to leave, and the harbor master is going to take him to the plane um, on, you know, the little dinghy ship when we... So as he's rowing him out to the plane, we see all these people pop up behind this little, like, uh, half wall thing wearing these different animal masks. So Howie's plane won't start once he gets there, and he has to end up going back to the island with the harbor master. What a surprise. He's stuck. Uh, back in town, the festival has started, and Howie sees things like he saw in the book when he was in the library, um, some of the costumes that were mentioned. And so uh, in one of the books, there's this half-horse, half-human thing that's supposed to kind of lead everyone to the festival. And he sees that walking around town and decides to follow it. And he sees everyone singing and dancing and celebrating kind of in this town square area. And so Howie's watching from a distance. Um, not everybody knows that he hasn't left yet. And he sees Lord Summer Isle talk to everyone about how they will meet at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and go down to where they will make the sacrifice. And they'll kind of do that part of the celebrating and that part of the festival um, at, that, at that time. So Howie goes back to the post office and sees May and tells her what he thinks is happening, that Rowan's not dead but being held to be sacrificed today. She tells him to leave and to not concern himself with things that are not his business, um, and he basically decides that he's going to start searching house to house for Rowan. So he's starting to search the houses. Uh, he's looking in cabinets, looking basically in every area of all the houses that he can find. And this young girl decides to play a prank on him. She basically stands in this wardrobe. And when he opens the door, she's got like what looks like, uh, you know, supposed to be blood coming out of her mouth. And she falls to the ground like she's dead. And he freaks out. And then she gets up and laughs and runs away, which is kind of rude. Um, he sees this boat kind of out in the middle Um not in the middle of the water, but like off of shore enough that it would be a little bit harder to access. So he goes out there thinking she might be out there. She's not there. He goes to the inn and decides to get a drink. Uh, he goes upstairs because he's going to take a little nap before continuing his search in the evening or, you know, late af early afternoon before the festival. Uh, Willow comes up with her dad and Howie overhears them talking about how he should be asleep. I guess they put something in his drink, but um, it didn't work because he's not asleep. And so the innkeeper goes to put on his costume for the festival and Howie sneaks up behind him and hits him in the head with a candlestick. Then he takes his costume and ties up the innkeeper. And the village is on their way to the place where they do the sacrifices and Howie's playing the role of the fool. That's the innkeeper's costume. So he is now dressed in the innkeeper's costume, dancing through the streets, trying to figure out where Rowan is and how he can save her before she ends up being sacrificed. 
as the sun is starting to set, they get to the Stonehenge-looking place. So in the book that he was reading, they talk about how there are these six knights through the festival. Uh, knights being like soldiers, um, not the time of day. So these six knights with swords, and they basically make a pentagram shape. And they have the pentagram shape, and so everyone in town is supposed to walk and basically put their head through the pentagram, and the knights will decide if their heads need to be cut off. Um, very intense. Howie has to go through dressed up as the fool so that no one thinks that he's, you know, not the innkeeper. And so he goes through, his head isn't chopped off, thankfully, and this girl dressed as a hare, as a rabbit, she's got this giant, like, rabbit mask on, um, has her head chopped off. But it ends up just being a big joke. She, you know, it was like she had her her head under her, uh, like, shirt collar thing, and the rabbit head was sitting on top, and so they cut off the rabbit head. It's just all a big joke. Um, so next, everyone decides to go down to the water, and they put ale in the ocean to give the god of the sea, and then, then we finally see Rowan. She's getting ready to be sacrificed, and Howie runs up, saves her, lets her go, unties her, and they escape. Or so you think. Rowan says that she knows the way out. They're basically in this, like, cave area, and she's like, I know how to get out of here. They run. They come back up on kind of the, this cliff area. Uh, on the side of the island and Howie climbs out first and then she climbs out and Willow, Lord Summer Isle, and the teacher are all standing there waiting for him. It was the plan the entire time. Rowan was in on it. She was so excited. She was like, did I do it right? And Lord Summer Isle's like, you did perfect. You were amazing. What a great little sacrifice. So basically Howie realizes that he was meant to be the sacrifice the whole time. Um, there's nowhere for him to go. They've been, the whole town has been planning this from the beginning. The crops failed last year for the first time since his grandfather founded the community. And Lord Samurai basically explains that they needed a lawman who was coming here on his own free will to be the best sacrifice. And the best person that they could figure would also be a virgin. And with him waiting till marriage, he's kind of the perfect candidate. So they devised this whole plan, sent him the letter to get him to come to the island so that they could sacrifice him so that next year's crops would be better. Now, everyone is waiting for him. He, they're like all kind of up on the top of this like cliffy area. So he can't really run away. It's like he can either go toward all the people in the village or he, he can jump down into a bunch of rocks in the water, um, which wouldn't be a good idea either. They take the full costume off of him and clean him up. Lord Summer Isle tells him it's time he keeps his appointment with the wicker man. Howie tries to plea and tell the people that killing him won't bring the cops back. Howie says, uh, he basically starts making, um, saying that next year, Miss Lord Summer Isle, they're going to come for you. They're going to decide that you need to be the one to die next year. And Summer Isle says that the crops will come back just by sacrificing Howie. The willing king like virgin fool will be the perfect fit is what lord summer isle says and so the people lead him to this giant statue type thing this giant wicker man um he will go inside and then they will light it on fire and so he's trying to struggle but it's no use um and then we can also see like in the arms and kind of the the head of the wicker man there's all these um livestock so chickens goats Baby, cow, uh, baby cows, all that stuff, uh, who will also be sacrificed to the gods. 
how he is carried up these stairs and placed inside and everyone kind of rounds up in a circle around the wicker man just watching. They shut and latch the door and Samurai talks to the gods and asks them to accept the sacrifice. He's trying to talk with them, but they light the fire and how he burns alive while people sing and dance while watching the wicker man burn. Very, very intense. He's trying to plead with them pretty much the entire time. Um, and then he starts singing kind of church hymns as the fire gets closer. You know, they're, the, the village is singing, you know, their folk songs. And he starts singing his religious songs. He starts praying. And as he burns, shouts the name Daniel a few times. And so there's a couple reasons why we think that Daniel could be what he says in the movie. So some people think that he starts screaming Daniel because there's the story of Daniel and the lion's den from the Bible where he's getting ready to be torn apart and eaten by lions and God basically intervenes at the last second and saves him. And then I guess there's also another story in the Bible where Daniel's disciples, um, a couple of his followers, were thrown into a furnace but didn't die. So people think that it could be either of those two things. Um, But yeah, very religious meanings as to why he starts screaming Daniel. Then the wicker man is finally fully on fire and starts slowly falling apart. The sun is almost set and that is how the wicker man ends. We see the sun continuing to set over the horizon after we see the wicker man start falling apart. Super crazy movie. Um, I love the kind of the cult vibes of it. There's definitely, you know, this is the original. They did do a remake with Nicolas Cage. That's pretty good. Um, It's a bit more fanfare dramatic, I would say, Um, but still a really good movie. I love a good cult vibe. It's a good spring horror movie. I feel like there's not very many spring horror movies. You know, there's all the Halloween ones and all the fall stuff and Black Christmas, but like we don't really get a whole lot of springtime horror movies so this is definitely a good one for that but I hope you guys enjoyed it I had a really good time uh making this episode and getting to watch this again because I hadn't seen the original in quite a while I haven't exactly picked the movie for next week I was going to do a specific film and then um I decided against that one just because I've seen it a lot of times and just don't really feel like watching it to be honest right now So I'm still trying to decide what we're going to do for next week. So stay tuned. I will post about it on socials once I finally make a decision. But super excited to get into next week's episode and chat about that with you guys with whatever it ends up being. Again, we are on socials on Twitter and Instagram at mmurdermovies. So that's M as in massacre, murder movies. And you can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a lovely week or weekend whenever you're listening to this and stay safe and stay spooky.